Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Virago Podcast, a monthly celebration of books, reading, and writing, brought to you by Virago Press, the international publisher of books by women. Welcome to the Virago Podcast. We're talking about LGBTQ plus history month, and I'm joined by Eleanor Cruz, uh, Ellie is the author of The Times I Knew I Was Gay, a beautiful graphic memoir coming out in June, which does what it says on the tin, doesn't it? It's a coming out book. Um, hi, Ellie. Hey, Rose. Um, we're going to discuss various books, both on the Virago list and not on the Virago list, that are either by queer authors or deal with queer themes. Ellie, your book begins with you as a kid gobbling down horror and ghost stories. Later on, once you've worked out through this long and difficult process that you're gay, you really revel in The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, and you make it a project at university. What did you love so much about that book? I initially came to the book because my dad suggested it to me as a really great horror story, and I had no idea of the queer undertones Mm. within the story. Um, So I read it um, just as I was coming out, uh, and like you know, for the final time, and it was so exciting to be reading a book that had been recommended by a family member, but then also to discover that queerness by myself. And then I started reading essays about it where people pointed it out, and I thought, oh my gosh, I I noticed this, and it was true, and it was queerness, and and I found that really exciting, um, and it made me really connect to the book especially because it was a ghost story so I already loved ghost stories and then it was a queer ghost story amazing so uh, what are the kind of queer layers underneath the the characters and the stories in that book so the main character who is also called Eleanor uh, but referred to as Nell in the book when she arrives at Hill House the second visitor who arrives is a young woman called Theodora and you only ever know her as Theo. She refuses to tell people her surname, which I think is possibly the first queer trope of the book because she has this chosen name and she's this young woman who lives with a roommate and they had a big argument before she left and Theodora broke a statue that her roommate made for her and the roommate tore up a photograph that Theodora had given her. So there were these clues. Yeah, real clues towards Theo having a relationship with a woman. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering about the house itself in that book. Um, I'm thinking of another author on the Virago Modern Classics list, um, Daphne du Maurier, 
who is a bisexual and for whom duality was a very difficult part of her identity. And, I mean, Rebecca was one of my favourite books growing up. I think I read it every year. Um, I could speak for a very long time about the love of Mrs Danvers for Rebecca herself. Um, But I want to talk about Manderley um, and Hill House because they're kind of... Like so many houses in Gothic novels, they're portrayed like a character into itself. And I wonder if that trope goes another kind of stretch for queer authors and the house kind of symbolises menacing entrapment, like a kind of giant Gothic closet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point with Hill House because... um, within the story um, the first thing Jackson really reveals about the story of the house itself was that um, it's not sane and from the from its beginning um, bad things were already happening there and when the visitors to the house investigate it for the first time uh, they realise that it's built on a circumference so when you think you're in one part of the house you're actually in a completely different Space, So there's a real menacing aspect to the actual building itself. It's not just a house where when you're above one level, you completely understand where you are. You can just get absolutely lost in there. Mm. And every time you open a door, if you try to leave it open so you can find your way back, the house closes the door behind you. And the characters will often watch all the doors that they've opened close in. So there's this idea of being closeted within the house if they open a window if they open curtains everything's always shut behind them so you're always trapped it's a very very smart Mm. symbol it's also sending um, shivers down my spine (laughs) right now I mean I love that bit in your memoir where you uh, finally kind of come to terms with your own sexuality um, and you go around your childhood bedroom um, and you start telling your house Mm. That really resonated for me with what we've just said um, because it's almost like you're reclaiming your identity um, in the very space that you kind of grew up in um, and forcing that upon the house itself, forcing it to recognise you for who you are, um, even though it's watched you at every stage of your growing up. Yeah, that was a really important part for me to include in the story. Um, And it wasn't, initially, it wasn't something that I thought I would ever tell anyone that I did Mm. Um, because I just I remember coming home from my last hetero date as I call it in the book and the next morning thinking okay I'm going to tell my room my room's been my companion my whole life I've always lived in this room let's start here after I I had previously told my brother but this was a firm decision to tell my room and my house um, my parents were around holiday, so I felt very freed. Mm. Um, it's like telling yourself, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I think there's also an interesting link back to the Haunting of Hill House here because um, Nell, when she arrives at the house, is very um, timid. She's quite a weak character to begin with. She's a woman who's always had her decisions made for her. And as the house starts to break down her psyche, because she's the most haunted character, um, it gets to a point later on where she's actually the most powerful character and she's one with the haunting. And there's a moment where she's lying on a sofa and she can hear everyone talking in the room around her, but then she can also hear the ghost walking through the house and she can hear the crickets in the field and she's completely 
in control of everything and she knows so much more than the other people in the house who are studying it as well. She's actually surpassed them. Yeah. Um, so I've always found that as a really amazing section of the book because it's like she's finally comfortable with herself. And in possession of the whole history mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, I want to move on to talking about the books that brought you and your girlfriend together mm -hmm. uh, when you first met. Um, yeah, I think that on your first date you talked about um, a book which is actually also a Virago book, Carrie Brownstein's Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl, um, and you went to see her on your second date. Did it feel kind of special at that stage in um, your dating life to share the culture and music of a queer icon? It was really special. I didn't listen to Slater Kinney. Yeah. I only knew Carrie Brownstein from Portlandia. Um, and I think her book was advertised to me on Instagram and I thought, that's cool, I'm going to read that. Um, and then I went on this date with Tilly and she brought it up. And it was the, that day I had ordered the book. So I had this instant excitement of thinking, oh, we've got shared culture which is something that I had never had in the past. Or, or I'd shared culture with the men that I dated, but it was more of a predicted thing. Whereas Carrie Brownstein, I thought, wow, someone else knows about her and, and I don't know much right now, but I could learn from Tilly about Carrie Brownstein. And I know that from, my, from Tilly, my partner, uh, Slater Kinney were really, still are a really important band to her. So that was just really cool to be on this first date and think we have things in common already um, through the culture of being queer. And then she lent you a book, I think. Yeah. What was it? So she lent me uh, Tipping the Velvet. I think it was actually two years into our relationship. Uh -huh. um, but I'd say if that was on the second date, that would have been, um, yeah, quite, quite a nice, um, quite yeah. a nice gift on a second yeah. date. She did actually um, read me a portion of the book, maybe six months into our relationship. Mm -hmm. That was um, when uh, they're at Diana's house, and Diana is wearing like a saucy little hat. <laughs> <laughs> which was really great but I didn't properly read it until a few years later yeah. um, but I, I love this book so much um, and I was reading um, Sarah Waters wrote a new introduction for the 20th, 20th anniversary edition in which she says that it was never intended to be a work of historical realism but that she was excited to kind of offer a 90s flavoured lesbian Victorian London um, and she says the very patchiness of lesbian history, the very leanness of the lesbian archive invites or incites the lesbian historical novelist to pinch, to appropriate, to make stuff up. I wanted the novel not just to reflect that, but, but to reflect on it, to lay bare and revel in its own artificiality. I mean, I don't know if I noticed that artificiality when I was reading it because I just I think I wanted it to be real um, I think that history can be so heteronormative or it's changing mm. recently which is absolutely wonderful um, but you know that can make you feel that gay people either didn't exist or led miserable oppressed lives and this is the power of her invention that she creates this very joyful um, historical narrative in Tipping the Velvet. Did it, did it feel real to you? I think I was really in awe of it when I read it because I read it as historical mm. or at least um, incited by history. 
so I thought, you know, she's taking moments that probably did happen and making fantasy around it. Um, but I loved it because I thought I've always loved fantasy, but I'd never considered queer fantasy. Obviously, I've read books that are, you know, have a queer character in fantasy, but they're still living a heteronormative life. And just just the bar at the end that they go to, the boy in the boat. Yes. That's amazing fantasy. I, I, want, I want to know where the boy in the boat is. Yes, um, I wanted to visit it as well, <laughs> that East End uh, lesbian yeah, scene. Yeah, even the joke name. It's so crude. It's excellent. But, and there's all these um, other lingos that she has. I mean, tipping the velvet itself mm-hmm. is, of course, a euphemism. Yes. Um, and the toms yes. and the mashes and so forth. Um, she creates a world that we want to believe in. And I guess there is that kind of openness when it doesn't exist we create our own histories to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in which I think is really powerful yeah one a main thing that I took uh from my first experience of reading Tip in the Velvet was my absolute excitement when Nan gets her first suit and whereas Kitty puts on her suits and looks like a cute charming girl in a boy's suit, Nan looks like a man, yes. and they have to add the femininity back onto her outfit, and then when she's with Diana, and she has all these lavish, all this lavish tailoring made yes. for her um, I'd never considered that sort of clothing, and I thought, I want all of her outfits and that's so exciting, and I can't wait to go and buy a waistcoat and a blazer and, and a snazzy little hat. And, yeah, yeah, a saucy little top hat. A saucy little top hat, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's the, um, you know, performance yes. of queerness that yeah. they're talking about um, there, the, the sort of self-identifying and, and allowing other people to see you in that way, mm. which is, you know, part of her, such an important part of her journey. Completely. Um, and making it a kind of an open nod. And I think that... Um, you know, the way that uh, it's been safer for women to maybe allow those those little kind of nods and tricks and hints. Mm. Um, but they slip really... their platon at the end of the session. When, oh, yeah. when her and Kitty have their plaits cut off and then they would just pin it back. Yeah. Um, so they, they do their performance as mashers. But at the end, they put their costume back on of being girls. Being girls. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just an absolutely wonderful book. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I am going to recommend if anybody wants to get a hold of a more uh, true non-fiction account of times like these, I want to recommend Diana Suhami, who's a legendary writer of lesbian women's lives um, and has published biographies on everyone from Radcliffe Hall to Greta Garbo to Gertrude Stein. So that's a kind of real version mm. of, of the kind of characters that you meet in Sarah Waters. Sarah wrote the introduction to another Virago Modern Classics title, uh, Lolly Willows by Sylvia Townsend Warner, which uh, when we were talking about doing this podcast, you said you were already reading it and mm-hmm. absolutely loving it. So uh, Sylvia Townsend Warner, slightly later than Nan and Kitty in Tipping the Velvet, lived openly with her partner for decades. And Lolly Willows feels like a lovely companion read to your memoir. This one is not explicitly about sexuality, but it's about kind of coming to terms with your own agency and finding your power as an unusual single woman. What you're reading it at the moment, mm-hmm. like, what do you love so much about it? I love Sylvia Townsend Warner's tenderness throughout the whole story. Lolly is such a... I find her a very lovable character. I, I relate to her a lot in the um, clarity of her decisions she, when she decides to move away from London to Great Mop and she's happy in that decision and her family see it as a very strange move and they don't want her to do it but she knows what she wants and she knows how she needs to live and I really um, relate to that. You know, after coming out, I, I've always thought, well, there, I, I've jumped over my greatest hurdle and now I can just make decisions that I feel much more confident in because I know who I am. Mm. And I feel that Lolly goes through that in the years that she lives with um, Henry and Caroline, I think, her brother and her sister-in-law. And at the end of it, she thinks, actually, I've done this for 10 years. I don't want to do this anymore. I know what I want. Um, So she doesn't have a coming out as such as a queer one, but she definitely decides to stand her ground and choose what she wants, which yeah. I really love. And what happens when she moves to Great Mop is that she meets a gentleman who turns out to be Satan. And there's a line that I love in it. Women, says Lolly to the devil, know that they are dynamite and simply long for the concussion that may justify them. I love that. I thought it was really, really powerful. And it is a kind of about the realisation of identity, not only through falling in love with someone or finding somebody attractive, which I think is one way to tell queer stories and queer history, but it's about the realisation of identity within oneself. And that's why it kind of reminds me of your memoir, because, I don't know, there are all those wonderful books, like um, Ali Smith will often write her novels as there's there's a love at first sight moment mm. um, and some people experience their um, you know, understanding of their own sexuality like that whereas others work it out as something within themselves um, and looking at kind of queer literature and history that's what I'm always intrigued to see the difference between and the combination of both of them as well I think it's fascinating So I found a lot of surprising similarity between Lolly um, with Nell from The Haunting of Hill House. They have very similar beginnings to their story with Lolly living with her father until his death 
and Nell cares for her mother for 11 years and then they're both sent off to live with a sibling and their children and their life is decided for them and then they both decide what they want to do outside of the family and they're both othered by the people around them as I just said that Lolly's family don't understand why she wants to go and live in the Chilterns and Nell at the end of Hill House she decides she wants to stay there and everyone else in the house who are studying the paranormal activity they force her out because they think that the house has um, taken over her mind too much and that she's in danger if she stays at the house but what happens is she's so happy finally to be home which she sees Hill House as that the house causes her to kill herself at the end rather than leave and it's, she becomes one of the ghosts in the house and the previous ghost is a companion who looked after the elderly woman that lived there so you've, for both the books you've got people who um, maybe don't have such a straightforward way of life as their siblings or people around them that they are sort of put away as okay you're going to go and do this um, domestic thing and then we're going to decide what you want to do next but they both take a stand and you know have have a say finally in the end of how they want to live yeah and whether that's a very empowering thing mm. even if in the haunting of hill house it's also yeah. a very tragic one yes yeah um, and nell's decision is made for her by the house the house has taken claim over her mind and causes her at the end to drive into a tree but I still think that when you have finished the book and you've experienced Nell's journey, if you look at it in a queer perspective, you can see maybe some of her own decision within that. Hill House is the one place that she's finally felt like she's her own person. Yeah. There's a lot about coming home mm-hmm. in all of these stories and coming home to yourself. I'm going to wrap up with a list of other authors on the Virago list that you might be interested in. Willa Cather, Daphne du Maurier, Radcliffe Hall, Patricia Highsmith, Anne Lister, Kate O'Brien, Mary Renault and Sylvia Townsend Warner, who we, we have discussed. They are all amazing women writers who were writing about queerness and sexuality or were living those lives in a time where we weren't kind of as aware of it. Um, and when it wasn't so acceptable Um, and so looking up those histories is really heartening and on our list now a few of the people that you might want to look out for include C.N. Lester who wrote Trans Like Me High School by Tegan and Sarah and our anthology Can We All Be Feminists edited by June Eric Uduri Um, so please look out for those and please come and join us again on the Virago podcast thank you Ellie thank you so much Rose thanks for listening to this episode of the virago podcast if you enjoyed it please subscribe and also leave us a review it helps other people find the podcast we'd also love you to be in touch on twitter facebook instagram or our website virago.co.uk tune in next month for another installment of books feminism and conversation from virago press the international publisher of books by women. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.